Didn't last year you only had two 30-point games and both of them were against us? So I was actually, looking at that just now. Yeah. I remember these things too, bro. Today's show is brought to you by Bombas. Save 20% on your first order at www.getbombas.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to bumping, cause it's real way the time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. Okay, Brandle up the middle. Hey! Oh, Come on, everybody. All right, everybody, welcome to the 51st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, here in rainy Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling. Happy Halloween to all of you people. We are recording on Halloween, but by the time you hear it, it'll be the day after. Um, so, shout out to my man. It is 1034 right now. I kind of kept pushing back the recording time. I had to, some phone issues I had to take care of, but shout out to Best Buy and Ryan at Best Buy, who hooked us up, got us all set. But we were originally going to record a little earlier in the evening, but I just kept pushing it back. And Sage was like, whatever, dude. I'm just sitting here watching the Clippers and Suns. Let's record whenever. So much appreciate working with you. You are the best partner to have. And that's why I think this podcast works so well, because we're both easygoing. We're both laid back, but we both know our stuff. Oh, yeah. I love it. And I can't wait to record every Monday night after work. Something I look forward to. And the season has finally started. Like last podcast was previewing the season opener. Well, we've gotten a taste of Trailblazers basketball. And friends, the Blazers play a shit ton of hoops this upcoming week. There are four games we are going to preview later on this podcast. But first, Sage, it is Halloween. You said it. Happy Halloween. Uh, I'm a big Halloween guy. I love pretty much when the holiday season starts rolling around. Definitely go all out for the holidays, unlike me. I mean, once September hits, that's like the start of football season. That's like a holiday to me. It's like the fall and September all the way through New Year's, and it's like my favorite time of the year, and we're just getting into it. We've got Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, but we're on Halloween. Big things. Favorite costume, favorite candy, favorite scary movie. Growing up, what was your favorite costume that you ever did? Man, my mom and I were not very creative with with our, like, costume choices. I think I was in karate for, like, six years, way back in the day. I think we, my mom made me wear my karate outfit every time from like age seven to eleven. So my favorite costume ever was when we had a golden. I we had a golden retriever named Brandy, and the first year we had her, we put her in a costume and she looked cute. So that's probably it. I, I think the me dressing up in my karate outfit was some of the laziest, <laughs> laziest stuff. No offense to you, mom, who I love dearly. Well, surprise, surprise, both of mine involved the Trailblazers. I remember my first time getting candy. I was a Blazer fan. I had the old uh, snapback with the Clyde Drexler signature on it. I still see that on uh, Etsy and eBay every now and then. And it's, I'm just always waiting to find one in good condition to re to reacquire it. I had the starter jacket. I mean, I was ready to go. I, I was obsessed. Still am obsessed. But six-year-old Dustin, like, literally, world revolved around the Trailblazers. And then more recently... Uh, if anybody is familiar and saw the old Blazers.com videos with uh, Pat Stacks, Patty Mills, who's in the streets, he wore some short shorts and the retro authentic jersey. I actually got to use that costume. 
I grew out the handlebar mustache, the mutton chops. I feel like red... you need to put that photo on Twitter. Just, just... Oh, that photo has been up. It is, uh, oh, okay. it is my Facebook pre- uh, profile pic. Um, anyone who knows me has seen this picture, but I've got the short shorts, the high socks. Um, definitely threw some J's on it for some modern, uh, modern usage. But yeah, I won best Halloween costume contest at my work the first year I did it. And I think it's more of the shock and off factor, just how white and pasty my legs really are this time of year. I could have, I, I, I've seen that picture a thousand times. I have yet to look at your pasty ass legs because the handlebar mustache is what draws the eye to it, get the photo. It's pretty good. It yeah. is pretty good. You definitely pull off the handlebar mustache much better than I could. So, and I was telling, I got, I was getting a haircut the other day and I was talking about Halloween costumes and I was like, I feel like I peaked. Like, everything I do afterwards is not going to be as good. So, in a sense, it's great that you hit your peak, but otherwise you're just like, eh, nothing's ever going to live up to it. If you weren't so busy today, would you have been out celebrating with people? Or It's a Monday night. That's really tough. Yeah. Um, this weekend, I kind of was sports overload. We're going to talk about the Blazers-Nuggets game. I watched that. Watched my Ducks finally get a victory. And then... You know, there was the Beaver game. There was the World Series. I mean, Saturday was loaded with sports. Did nothing but relax on the couch with my cats mm-hmm. and my wife. Amazing. Sunday had more errands to do. Got new glasses, as you've seen. But <laughs> I mean, I, Halloween parties, they're cool, but just didn't um, – wasn't wasn't feeling as much this year. I was feeling a little lazy. So I wish I would have – it's one of those things where, like, you wish you would have done something, but – you just were lazy in the moment. But I did get some candy. Um, Sage, I know we both been trick-or-treating. What was the one thing you always look forward to to get that, in that, that pumpkin? Now, when I was younger, the first thing I would go for is a Tootsie Pop because I know, like, and I would always go for the Tootsie Roll Pop. Just, like, you know it's solid. You know what it's going to be. So that was the first thing I went for. But I'm, I'm, I'm always, like, a gummy type of guy, so I would always enjoy getting gummy candies, but first thing out of my uh, bag was definitely a Tootsie Pop. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to hit the houses that give away the king-size candy bars, and definitely some of those did that. I always loved the Snickers and the Reese's, but growing up, and I still do this, I love the sour, so if there was ever a Warhead Mm. or a Crybase, which were the sour gum, those are money, but what I found now, and Target carries them, are the fruit-flavored Tootsie Rolls, and I I go ham on those. So is it like the vanilla ones or is it like vanilla, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime? I mean, all day, every day. And, you know, watching scary movies, like I love the Halloweens, but there's two that I've seen recently that were pretty good. One's called Hush. It's on Netflix. It involves um, a deaf mute. So they really play on the sound effects and less dialogue um, and the suspense, which I really love. Then the movie that scared the shit out of me and I watched it in my apartment with the lights out and Olga wasn't there was the strangers and that scared the shit out of me um I like movies that are more suspenseful and get have the um, almost the shock factor not the shock factor but like the the jump the jump in your seat factor more than just blood gore mm. slash type of movies I'm not really I was never into uh scary movies because my brother used to scare me a lot so I was always hypersensitive to getting scared so instead of talking about my favorite movie, I'll talk about the time I had a party at, in my basement of my childhood home, and we just went absolutely apeshit with like causing like little kid mayhem around my neighborhood. Um, 
I remember, like, we had our first, this was the first time I ever freestyled in front of, like, a group of kids, or a group of anyone, so it was a very impactful night, uh, I think some stray dog came and tried to attack us, so it was, uh, I don't really remember it that well, but that's my contribute. that's what I could contribute to the Halloween scary movies. Something that has been scary to the opposition of the Trailblazers has been Damian Lillard's play. That transition was scary good. Thank you. I thought of that as we were talking about. So, yes, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. But dude has been absolutely amazing. Um, We saw him in his first playoff series in 2014, and he really took his game to the next level. Obviously, he hit that shot. He was our best player in that series. We saw how well he played during the second half of the season. Um, last season, especially even on what he said, like an 80% heel. And he really carried us in that the first round and then just played lights out against the Warriors going shot for shot with Steph. But through, I know it's only three games and we've seen in the preseason, this is easily the best that Damian Lillard has looked. He he looks like a Steph Curry, like a Russell Westbrook, a Westbrook, excuse me, that's you know he's going to get 30, 40 points, and he can do it easily and make it look easy. He's averaging on the season, again, three games in, but 35 points, five assists, eight boards, a 32.16 PER. I mean, he's shooting 55% from the floor, 44 from three, uh, 90 from the line. I mean, turnovers are at four, but you're going to live with that. Yeah, because how- the ball's in his hands so what? much. It's fine. Sage, what I have loved is he is not relying on that jump shot. He is going dry first, and his ability to put – we talked about this on the last podcast um, in the season over against the Jazz. His ability, and we saw this with that game winner over Kenneth Reed, to get difficult layups and not only make them look easy, but get them over outstretched arms of ginormous human beings. Mm. I I think that's – all well and good, but the thing that's excited me the most is his rebounding. I looked on, I did, I looked on Basketball Reference to see what his rebounding percentage is, and he grabs ten percent of all available rebounds when he is on the floor, and that percentage is small, legendarily good small forward rebounders. So he is put, he is contributing in so many ways, and that elite eliteness of rebounding is one of the things that. It, it's just flooring me because point guards shouldn't be rebounding at small forward levels. And if you watch the games, these aren't rebounds that are coming right to him and he's leading the break. He's going after their jumping. Yeah, he, he, he's and putting, putting his, his – he's getting physical and he's attacking the glass mm-hmm. like all guards should do. And I think it really helps us up because, you know, we play small. So we need guys like Dame and CJ to get in there and do a little dirty work and get the boards and get that break and start that offense as fast as possible. But, I mean – it's just incredible watching him. I, I was watching the Denver game at home, and he would just go to the bucket, a little hesitation, even with his shoulders, with his eyes, with his, his dribble. He's doing these little subtle things that are throwing these defenders off, and it, it's, it's almost like watching Steve Nash back in his heyday because he was never very athletic, and he wouldn't get off the ground very high, but he knew where to put the ball on the glass, and he knew when to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm seeing with Dame. He's more athletic than Steve, but he has that same – just crafty veteran just ability to find the perfect spot to get the ball off and you're just sitting there and you you just you know you you laugh and you're just like god damn like just amazing <laughs> that god damn was cute 
I mean, you you run out of superlatives to describe him because he continues to up his game. And I think, for one thing, I know, again, three games into the season, we really need to help him out. I mean, CJ got it going in that second half against Denver, but he was extremely quiet against against the Clippers. Um, I said he, I was going to watch that Clipper game because CJ did not, was not part of the offense for a lot of that game. And I didn't know why. But as the game went on with the bad refing, I didn't really want to. I didn't want to get pissed off again, so I did not watch it. But he was not involved in the offense. Like Austin Rivers and JJ Redick were like playing really good deny defense, so they didn't even try. And then in the fourth quarter, when we needed him, he was cold. Yeah, he only took twelve shots. He was five of twelve, so it wasn't like he was ice cold. That game, I was there live. To be honest, taking even the rose-colored glasses off was one of the worst officiated games I've seen in recent memory. Uh, A lot of calls went against us that I I thought shouldn't have it. You look at the C.J. McCollum flagrant foul. I believe you look at the one where Blake Griffin completely flopped and Mason Plumley gets hit with a flagrant foul. You look at... Chris Paul literally running into Aminu and flopping backwards, getting the blocking call on Chief. Um, Dame said it best that they weren't allowed to play a game in the fourth quarter, um, and it really was a choppy game. And I think it was it was a bit of a slap in the face to all the fans who tuned in to see this this playoff rematch. It's the only time I'm going to get to see the Clippers play in Portland this season. We only played them three times, so this was a really big game, especially early in the season. And just to be that choppy and sloppy, and then you've got that call literally at the end of the game. The game is in hand. Shabazz Napier is away from the person, and they're whistling with 1.6 seconds left. To me, that shows the referee is trying to show up the players that, hey, I'm, I'm the shit. I'm running this show in town, and that should never be the case with an official. The best officials are the ones you've never heard about or, or they're not known because they're making the right calls. They're not standing out. And they're not trying to show up either the coaches or the players. Yeah, the ref should not be one of the things people talk about. It's just they're there to officiate, not to get notoriety or any of that stuff. Like I didn't know the only refs I knew were Steve Jabby and like the one Joey Crawford. There you go. So it's it, it shouldn't be that. I still don't know the ref, the female ref's name, but it shouldn't be a trending topic on Twitter. How and bad they are! Just her. I think her name was Lauren Holdcamp. Um, excuse me if I mispronounced her last name. It wasn't her though. The other two were just as bad. They could have stepped in and over overruled, or they could have. They were making shitty calls too. So I hate the fact that she was singled out. Yes, she made bad calls, but the other two, they did a shit job as well. It just was a poor job all around. And I get that officials have off nights, but to me, it looked like there was an agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very clear early on. Um, Amino just, getting too real quick. And then the third and the fourth. Free throw attempts for the Clippers, and we only hacked DeAndre twice down the court. Um, That's very frustrating to see, and it's not what fans come to see. It's not what I came to see. Um, So that was disappointing to lose to the Clippers, although it's not the end of the world because even if they sweep us 0-3 and we end up tied, if we win the division and they finish second in the Pacific, we're we're moving ahead of them in the standing. So at the end of the day, it's not a huge loss, but – while the referees, I think, played a significant factor more so than any game, um, normal game, 
Portland still had their chance, and I think it's something they're going to learn from. And I was telling Olga on my walk, because we walk across the Broadway Bridge after each game to and from, I was telling her, I think losing this game actually benefits the Blazers more than had they won this. They were they lost their, their poise. They lost their, I think they lost a little bit of internal control. Mentally, they were taken out of the game. And normally, I would say, I don't think you should have to play your A-plus game every night to win. You shouldn't have to play against the officials. But that that's just not how it is. The NBA is uh, a subjective a subjective league with people in this case the officials making subjective calls and you have to play through that. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're not getting the benefit of the doubt. Um the cookie's not always going to crumble your way and you have to fight through that and you can see the players getting visibly upset, you know, Lillard and McCollum. Yeah, hurt. they they got very emotional at the last quarter. I mean, and, and I understand. I was extremely emotional as well, but like I said, there are going to be games when this is happening, and you have to look back to this game mm-hmm. and say, we need to respond differently, because I think there was a stat thrown out there that Portland shot like 34 or 36% on uncontested yeah, shots. Yeah, they did not shoot well. Sent on contested shots. So, I mean, you look at Chief, Chief went 0 of 5 from 3, uh, all wide open. I mean, we just did not shoot the ball well. We were out of rhythm. Um, I'm not overall worried, Sage, because the Clippers didn't show me anything. Um, I think Blake looked better than I thought he would. Blake looked better, but CP looked worse. Um, DeAndre got completely outplayed by Mason Plumlee. DeAndre, how did had, you feel about those that technical, the scuffle and the technical Mace got? I think that's this is the reason I hate the double technical because now you're putting a technical on a guy for the rest of the game, mm-hmm. and instead of giving Mason a flagrant, which gave them two in the ball, they could have just teed him up for that, even though. I didn't think it was necessary. I think Blake completely flopped. And you look back at the DeAndre Mace thing. Mace is trying to get hold hold himself up so he doesn't fall into the lap of two kids. And DeAndre, you know, slaps it away because the Clippers all have that attitude. Um, they play with that chip on their shoulder, which may work for them. But, you know, DeAndre kind of started that whole shit. And, of course, Mace is going to be like, you know, what gives? And I think... Harkless was talking about it after the game that, you know, they definitely talk a lot of noise and that's why it gets him fired up. Mo had an amazing game. Yeah, um, he was the second best player on that team, on the team that game. Three points, 10 to 15 shooting, uh, eight boards. I mean, amazing game. Mm. Plum played fantastic too. It was one of the best games I've seen Mace play. He had 17 points, seven of nine, including a couple deep jump shots, eight boards, four assists, three blocks. Um, completely outplayed his counterpart, DeAndre Jordan, who was the first team all NBA center last year. And that's why I said the Clippers didn't worry me as much because DeAndre, I don't feel like is getting any better. I mean, teams are taking away his lob. He is an offensive liability. He was two of seven, six points, 12 boards, one block. I mean, he's not going to give you any assists. He's not going to shoot free throws. Well, he was two of 10 at the line. So you look at Portland and you, you can take away a lot of great things from this game because I don't see the, and I think overall we'll talk about this, but the Clipper bench was what really won this game for them. I mean, they, they, they outscored Portland 45 to 20. You, you cannot let that happen when that is a weakness of them. I mean, Raymond Felton was hitting shots. Austin Rivers got to the cup way too easy. Bless you. <laughs> Tried my best to make it quiet. Couldn't do it. I mean, and then you've got Mo Spates, who just likes to shoot against us, and Jamal Crawford, who is, I, I swear he's just the unageable man. Like, he mm-hmm. continues to get it done. 
So I guess long story short, Clippers showed me nothing that makes me fear them out West. I would love to match up with them in the playoffs again because I, I don't think CJ is going to have that tough of a night. I think Aminu is going to play better. Turner is still in the exploratory phase of learning the offense. And we're going to get more from Ed Davis, and we're going to get more from, from Vonley. They should have probably played a little bit more, and I think our bench will play a little bit better. Theirs might play a little bit worse. I mean, you watched the game from home. What did you see, Sage? One sec. I I am very curious to see Evan Turner's, like, purr and all that. Because I don't think he's playing as bad as people say he is. Uh, all right, I stand corrected. Um, he's shooting very poorly. Yeah. And that, that plays a lot into purr. Unfortunately, defensive statistics don't. Yeah. Um, he's playing pretty dang good defense, and he, he's helping out. He's he had a couple of really bad turnovers in Denver early, but he made up for it. He had that big bucket to end the third, and followed up with that buzzer beating three that really got us within striking distance. And I think with Turner, he needs to set up his offense by getting to the basket, getting to the free throw line. Don't settle for jump shots. Um, if you're taking a mid range shot, that's fine. But if that's not falling, he's long enough and athletic enough to get to the cup. So get to the cup. If you don't make it, get a whistle. That's what we brought him in for. We don't. I think this whole notion that everybody in Terry Stott's offense has to shoot a jump shot is, is flawed because what we needed help with was being not so reliant on the jump shot. We needed guys to get to the basket, create their own shot, dribble, create for others, and that's exactly what he does. And for people to say this is already a failure, I mean, come on. Three you have- games, man have to give it at least 20, 25 games to even come up with, a, I think, a valid opinion around whether it's been a success or a failure. Like, message boards, and I'm not calling anyone out for anything because I see it everywhere. They see a player doing well, and they think MVP, MVP. Then they see someone doing poorly, and the argument is, well, it's only three games. you got to use the same argument for the same thing. So what was the question you asked me before I was Googling my heart out? I said you watched that that Clippers game. Anything about the Clippers that you feel like Portland should worry about? Is that, I mean, to me, they didn't look super great. I know they, that if you're a Clipper fan, you don't look super great and you still get a victory in Portland. That's a big deal. But I, I think Portland played extremely poorly. I, I, I think that's easily the worst basketball they played in the preseason. They didn't the- play Portland basketball at all. Because there was a lot of one pick and roll, you take a mid-range jumper, and it misses. It wasn't the ball movement, player movement that I was expecting. That was one thing that I noticed. And then I really think Blake's going to have a big year. Because he, he's he's looking athletic like he did when in his first and second year. I think Blake might be a problem for us because he's big. And his post moves are pretty good. Post moves in these days because it was really quick, decisive. Even when it wasn't a good move. It was still a decisive move, which made the defense react. So I think Blake's going to be better, but other than that, I'm really not scared, because I, I just I just trust Dame and CJ in the clutch. But So you said Blake's going to be tough to handle. We've seen Von Ley showcase some offensive um, brilliance, which doesn't make him a liability on that end of the floor. He is easily our best big man defender. Um, and he plays well in the perimeter. 
if we match up with this team, I mean, I know we have a game coming up with them later on this month and then one more in the regular season, but down the line, once he's gotten more playing time this year, I think he is our X factor for the season because he is a young big who can play. He, he can body Blake. He can match up with him physically. He may not have all of the, he may not have the experience yet to know when Blake's going to go to a certain move mm-hmm. here or there, but in terms of physicality, he gives us our best chance at guarding guys like Blake Griffin and Carl Anthony Towns, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but I don't think it would be fair to him to expect that today. That's more of a building process for him to achieve later. Agree, but I was saying I still think he gives us a better chance yeah, to definitely. than Harkless or Aminu, which are just simply too – they're outmatched physically. Yeah, I mean Aminu – rebounds the ball really well, which is why we can go small, but Blake Griffin's a different animal. He's a top 10 player. Yeah. he's Physically, he's very opposing to a lot of players. So, that was the downside. Portland loses uh, their second game of the year. They, they drop it to the Clippers. Um, 106 to 114. It was tied going into the fourth. Portland let it slip away, but... They had a, a chance on, on Saturday to really fold up the tent and just say, hey, it was the Denver Nuggets season opener. The lights went out. Overall weird game. Let's let's get ready to go back to Portland. We got the Warriors on tap. I mean, that's okay. We can just fold hold the tent. That's a game that Damian Lillard said they probably lose last year. I guarantee you that's a game they lose last year, especially early on in the season. Um, Portland controlled that game despite the Nuggets having a huge size advantage down low and a plethora of young bigs. I mean, the second chance points were unreal. Uh, they had 61 boards to R45. They had 16 offensive rebounds to R5. Uh, they controlled the glass, and that's so. It was a combination of them controlling the glass, Getting to, they lived at the free throw line. Portland would have been up 20, 25 points had Denver not just stayed close at the foul line. I think overall Denver shot 31 of 39, Portland just 15 of 21. So again, the second game in a row, a really large foul discrepancy. I think Portland played through that. They had a lot of tough whistles go their way. Again, they stayed composed, and like I said, they had a big lead. It was like 14 points, and yeah, then Emmanuel Moody in the second half just got really comfortable and he got looked a com- lot better. Well, yeah, he got some, our deep, our perimeter, excuse me, our interior defense was completely non-existent, and we just made some lazy-ass passes. I mean, we have 15 turnovers for the game. I, I swear to God, eight of them came right in the third quarter when it was just lazy entry passes on the perimeter, which should not happen, and that really let Denver get comfortable. Um, Jokic was uh, a, just a fucking beast to deal with. Yeah, he's uh, a nerd has a lot of size down low, and Fareed probably played his best game in a long time. Just He brought that energy that he was doing the first few years in the league. Do you think um, he's, his future role is as a sixth man? Just as this? I think that's his. I think he's he's Ed, Ed Davis, essentially. Like You have to treat him like Ed Davis. He's never going to be that starter, that guy who was on Team USA select team. And, and I think that's the problem with Kenneth Fareed because... Rube, he played on that. Exactly, and he contributed on that. Oh, yeah. So he has that he has that cachet of I played next to Anthony Davis on Team USA and won a gold medal. I deserve to start, but in this role, I think he looks really good, and it it 
them being able to have Nurkic and Jokic followed by Ken Fareed and whoever is more rested, that is a that, that could be a little scary for teams that are, are thinking small ball. Yeah, and I was really not agitated, but a little upset that Bombay only got seven minutes. Again, I think he is a good young big who, one, is great at rebounding the ball, but he's active. And if we're getting beat on the glass, we need to to go big. You can only you can only go small if you rebound the basketball. Exactly. I mean, that is rule number one. If, if it's like a flow chart, if that's a no, that means you immediately go big. Because if you can't rebound the ball, your defense can only hold up for so long. It's like a DB mm-hmm. playing football. You can you can def, you can defend for three to five seconds. Any longer than that, you have no chance. And that's the same thing in the NBA. You you can defend pretty well for a possession. Two possessions, you're really stretching it. Three, you know, good luck. You might as well play because they are going to score that time down the floor if you give an NBA team three times. And it was really, it was, Dame kept us alive. We talked about Evan Turner coming alive with those with those five quick points in the third. But I think the unsung, there were two unsung heroes. CJ really got it going in that fourth quarter. Yeah, and kept it, was, it. it was the Jokic versus CJ. Uh, can I give? I think I know Stotts' thought process on why Myers played. I think Myers is a more vetted player. This is a matchup he should be good in, and he trotted him, trotted him out, see what was going on when it was not really working well. When Myers was getting confused on defense, he's like, "Fuck it, I have to go small to try and win this game." So Myers plays eleven minutes. One rebound. Noah Vonley plays seven minutes, four rebounds. I mean, I mean, you're not. I'm not going to defend Myers Leonard on this podcast. It's just, I'm just saying he. But the, I kind of get why. I, I even said this might be a Myers during the preview. It might be a Myers game, but again, if he's not hitting from the outside, he's not giving you anything on the offensive end, and he's still getting back into shape from his shoulder injury, and he looks like he's gained a lot of muscle mass. He doesn't look fat, but he looks like he's gained weight to be stronger, but that has affected his quickness. He is, not, he is definitely a step slower. and He, he wasn't just, even that fast to begin with. It, like when we looked at the charts, he was Al Jefferson slow. So and, it wasn't like you had Anthony Davis speed or someone with quick, nimble feet. He's kind of a plotting center that takes his time to... Get up and go. Yeah, what I wanted to see from him though was just crashing the glass. Going, you're a seven, you're a big then, dude. Go but rebounding is a mentality that I don't think he has. It, it's that's, it's that's about what, aggressiveness. It's not. It's this rebound is mine. I'm getting this. That's what I don't think Myers Leonard has it. I think Noah Vonley shows that he has the 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 attitude to be a good rebounder. But I, I don't think Myers has that. I think he's game to body boogie cousins. That's about it. Yeah, he's maybe good. Hit threes Get up on he, the block, yeah. one on one. He can defend, yeah. but yeah, he doesn't. I mean, he, Dame has that mentality, like you mentioned. Like that rebound is mine. I am going to get it. So I'm not going to throw Myers under the bus. I'm not going to say you know he should never play again. Go to that extreme. I'm willing to give him some time. He does need to get fully healthy from his shoulder. He hasn't played a ton in the preseason. Like Evan Turner, let's give Myers some time, but. The other person, we talked about CJ. Aminu 
was absolutely awful shooting the basketball. I think he was 0-5 before he finally hit a three late in the game. But it was his defensive play. I think it was an overtime where he got need in the growing, yet somehow was able to cleanly strip Gallo and set up that game-winning possession for the Blazers. Mm. I mean, that is why he is so fucking valuable for this Blazers franchise because he impacts the game on that end of the court. Yes, you wanted to shoot better than one of one of six from three, um, but he had twelve boards. He had three blocks. He had he had a steal. But offense is so important. If you don't score, why you're not a good player? <laughs> and we all know this with Chief. He's a, he's a little bit of an inconsistent three point shooter. But once he starts to get into a rhythm, he progressively gets better. We saw this at the beginning of regular season. He had his moments, but as the season went on and as we got more comfortable, especially in the playoffs, he started to dial it in. And I think we'll see that again three games in. Uh, don't worry too much about Chief. But, Sage, let's talk about those final – I think it was like 53 seconds I looked on the video. We were down by eight points. I mean, Denver just – I. <sighs> They blew up. They're young. Like they shit the bed. <laughs> they they shit the bed like a Tony Roma interception. It was bad. The, the Emmanuel Mudiay pass to Jokic, uh, Kenneth Fareed, who could have just sealed the game by holding and dribbling it out, saw Mudiay was picked off by Crab. Dame walks into a three. Okay, you're down five. We just play solid defense. They sh- let CJ get a layup. Nope, foul and one down two. Then there's the one play where we foul them. Oh, okay, they have to. Use, that was our foul to give. Next time out, we play great. This is one of the first times I've seen us play great defense on the inbounds. We force. We've always been on the other end of this where we make the shitty pass. Nope, we played great D. Like you said, the Moutier pass to uh, Gallo was over his head. I think it was Jokic. Jokic. Uh, then Dame gets the ball and gets it stripped, and I was like, ah, you know, good, good comeback, but it wasn't to be. All they had to do, Wilson Chandler at least has to hit one. one. <laughs> he misses them both, and then Terry, the fucking magician Scots, draws a play for the ages where I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's wide up, Damian, don't miss. Like, I had flashbacks to, like, Courtney Lee in game two of the 9 finals against the Lakers where he missed that layup, and that would have won them the game. I was like, Dame, just make it. And thankfully, obviously, Dame, he came through. That now, we're, call, now we're going to overtime, Sage. And we fall behind by four. And it's in overtime, I never like to be behind even by one possession because it feels like every possession is playoff basketball, which it feels like. I think this was Denver's, like, this is the bit that I'm trying to make a moment. So they were trying hard that game. It was Matumbo retirement night. It oh. was open night. I mean, they had everything to play for. Their jersey, I really dig their old school jerseys. Oh, yeah, they need the, to go back to that. With their, the rainbow. They're powder blue and gold. They need to ditch that shit. That played out whack as fuck. Go and back to the rainbow. It, it sort of looks like they're Golden State Unis, too. I know this yeah. is Denver, but the color scheme and all that is... The rainbow, it, it's so eye-catching. I really liked it. And so, back to the, those final moments. When <laughs> we get it tied, we make... I think Aminu makes that strip. Probably, maybe even last year, but definitely two years ago, Damien's pulling up for a game winner, mm-hmm. pulling up maybe 30 feet, like just taking a bad shot, which has always been his bugaboo. And as a big of a Lillard fan as I am, that's always been one criticism. But what did he do? He's been, he went to the well. That, that well had been good to him all season long. He took, he got a switch. He took Breed off the dribble and went right at him. And it was just, he made it. And, uh, you know, I was using, I was petting Rally Kitty. 
during that whole rally. Um, he definitely played a part in it. It was just an amazing comeback. It reminded me of two years ago in OKC when we were down 10 with 90 seconds to go. Westbrook started it with that technical, and Dame hits that shot. So you don't always see these comebacks, but it seems like every year we get one just because these guys never give up. There's never doubt Rip City, and you have to love that with this team because a lot of teams would have just you know quit and said, let's, you know, yeah. let's, yeah. let's get a crazy early Halloween party. Yeah, man. Whew. Thank God it was Ken Fareed, not a actually good defender on that last play. <laughs> well, I thought Fareed actually played him pretty well. I mean, that's a lot of people thought that ball was going to get blocked, but I mean, like we said, Dame had gotten amazing at finishing in traffic, and that that's a tough shot. Dame makes it look easy, but I don't think a lot of point guards scratch that. A lot of players make that shot. No. So Portland, as it stands is now 2-1, and one, and I think that is a major victory because, for one, I mean, for a plethora of reasons. First of all, you don't want to be 1-2 and two heading into the Warriors game oh, yeah. on Tuesday. Second of all, Portland needs to put themselves ahead of Utah. Utah is hurt right now. You need to take as much advantage of those injuries as you can. And then three, I think just as a mentality, they, they know they started off slow, Last year, they had said all offseason long, we don't want to start off slow. We want to get up on the right foot. Losing to Denver, who I think is a decent team. I still think they're a bottom of the West team. You just can't. You have to find ways to win games like that, and they did. So I think that's a big confidence booster for a team that already knows they're pretty good. So we'll see how that translates to this week's uh, slate of games, which um, it's a doozy. They have back-to-back games uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, home against the defending uh, conference champion Warriors uh, Wednesday at Phoenix, uh, an arena that lately has just given us just a house of horrors. And it actually kicks off a three-game road trip Friday against the, the struggling but still dangerous Dallas Mavericks, and then Sunday against the, the, the depleted but, again, they're dangerous, the Memphis Grizzlies. So I could see Portland go 4-0. I could see them going 0-4. It, it's definitely going to be a crucial week because I think outside of that Warriors game, they might be favored to win all, all three of those road ones. And the road is where they're really going to, I think, earn that playoff seed. We know they can protect the home court even if they lose to the Warriors. But if they can go out and at least play 500 ball on the road, and you're looking at teams like Phoenix, let's see. I don't think they have a, a win this year. No, the Suns are 0-4, the Mavericks are 0-3, and the Grizzlies – Two and one, but the Grizzlies have, have struggled quite a bit this year. They should have lost opening night against the Timberwolves, got absolutely blown out uh, against the Knicks. These are all winnable games. Sage, what are your thoughts? And we've got four games. We've already been recording for, for a little bit, so there's still some time left, but we'll run through these games a little bit quicker than we normally would. I mean, we would have some stats on how they're looking so far this season, but with it being three games, the sample size isn't really there, so we'll rely on what we've seen from them on the eye test. Um, any injury updates, and just overall how we think the matchup is going to go. Some X factors, some predictions as always. Let's dig right into it, or excuse me, jump right into it. The Warriors. Playoff rematch. First time the new look Warriors with KD is in town. Uh, the first of four matchups. Um, Golden State, after getting just absolutely embarrassed on opening night against New Orleans. The first. They struggle to, I mean, they only beat the Pelicans by eight, and they only beat the Suns by six. This is this is um, not a good Warriors team. I 
you cannot tell me that this team is going to be as good as what they will be in the future. So I think this is a perfect time to play them at home. We're playing them at the, home, right? Yes, it is the yeah. last of a three-game road trip for the Warriors, and they have the Thunder with Russell Westbrook coming in um, on this Thursday. So hopefully they overlook us. I, I don't. I don't think they would. I think Damian Lillard is going to feast. They don't have a shot blocker on that team. Steph Curry looks confused. The passing players, Draymond Green and Curry, don't look good. KD and Clay, because they don't have the don't have to think when they shoot or when they have the ball, you know what they're gonna do. They look good, but the Draymond has been struggling except with his passing. Steph makes has been missing and just looks out of it. This is the perfect time to play them. I think Dame going for 40, 45, get 10 rebounds, 10 assists. He's going to feast on the lack of shot blocking. Because does Zaza, who I like, but is not a shot blocker. David West, who I love, but is not a shot blocker. Do they deter Dame at all? I think not. I mean, this is a warrior defense. They pride themselves on the defense. That's one of the reasons they won the championship in 2014 and came so close to winning it in 2015. They're giving up almost 115 points per night. I know yeah. it's three games in, but outside of the Spurs, they're not playing really any offensive juggernauts. The Pelicans so, are the worst offensive team in the league, and they yeah, put up. I, but overall, you're right. They're, they're, there's just no one else. And the Suns. Tim Frazier outplayed Curry, and if anyone doesn't think that, watch that game. Tim Frazier rebounds better, scores more, plays defense better. The only reason they won, I think, is because Tim Frazier got into foul trouble because of a few phantom foul calls that Steph loves to just get. So you obviously seen the full game of Golden State this year. I've seen them play against the Spurs. What are some areas of weakness that the Blazers can attack? Interior defense, shot blocking. Uh, they've always been a turnover-prone team because they do a lot of show-offy shit. They're going to turn the ball over. But these few games, first few games that I've seen, they've been turning it over at a really high rate. So if we can get some turnovers, easy baskets. But I, I just think... You it's, definitely have to get the crowd involved. I think oh, it's yeah, been... it, it, it has, the crowd has to be hyped for this. This is the 72-win team. You want to shut them down on your home court because they've got they've gotten too. Their, their schedule hasn't been that hard. The Spurs, yeah, they're that's a tough one. But the Pelicans and Suns, no. I think this game is a litmus test for the Blazers. I, I don't think they have to win. I do think they have to be competitive because if they show up and just get blown out of the gym. What what kind of tone does that set? I mean, you're looking at the team that is easily the favorite to win the NBA championship, and if you can't even compete, yes, I know it's one game. That could, that can linger for the next uh, matchup. I know they played them pretty tough in preseason until KD and Curry kind of went on a scoring rampage. But I think Portland has to be competitive, and I said this before they played in the playoffs because nobody expected Portland to win that postseason series. But they were extremely competitive, way more competitive than even I could have fathomed, mm. and probably should have won one or two additional games and pushed that to a six or seven game series. So can Portland play with that extra pride, that extra passion 
they're just gonna have to want it more because no one's gonna you're no not gonna out talent them but you can out rebound us out hustle yeah out yeah sorry on paper the warriors are the most talented team in the nba and nobody is going to say the blazers can match up with that um even me like one of the biggest blazer fans of all time they are going to have to do the little things i think the little things include you have to take care of the fucking basketball i do not want to see any lazy passes on the perimeter i do not want to see just cross court passes you have to take control, take, excuse me, care of that basketball because every possession matters against the Warriors because in the blink of an eye, they're down there shooting a three and all the good you've done, that last possession, literally just was wiped out by and bad of an eye by a Curry or Thompson three. I think they have to stay out of foul trouble. We have seen them give up, what was it, 46 free throws to the, the Clippers and I think we said something like 42 to the Nuggets. You cannot let this team. This is the, probably the best free throw shooting team in NBA history with those four guys getting to the line as, as frequently as they can. You cannot let them live at the line. You cannot let them slow the game down and score while the clock is stopped. And then lastly, I think you have to contain Clay Thompson. He's been a little bit quiet, and it's been mostly Durant and Curry. But who loves shooting in Portland more than anybody in the NBA right now? Clay Thompson. He averages he, last season in the regular season. He averaged 29 points against the Blazers. He shot an incredible 60% from the three, 55 from the floor. Um, in the playoffs, he was probably even better. And when when they win, he gets off the quick starts. Mm-hmm. Portland has CJ, whoever is on him, because now they're going to go small. CJ is going to have to guard somebody. Yeah. There, there, there's no more Harrison Barnes to put CJ on. So as much as I love CJ, he has to be up for this challenge. And he did a decent job against JJ Redick, but Clay Thompson and JJ Redick are complete beasts or just different dimensions of NBA basketball players. And he that's that's my X factor. Is CJ McCollum's defense on Clay Thompson? Is he making him work? Is Clay just missing? Sometimes you have to just hope and pray he misses because he has the quickest release I think I've ever seen. Quicker than Steph. He literally is always in the catch and shoot position. So for you, that's my X factor is how well does CJ defend Clay? Offensively, I think my X factor is going to be Aminu. They're going to leave him open. He's going to have to hit his threes. And uh, fuck it, I'm going to another X. Dame, Dame has to play. Like you said, I think Dame has to get 40 for us to be in this game. What do you say? I think Dame has to be very aggressive, but I, I think he will be able to succeed vastly just because of the lack of shot blocking. I'm, I'm not scared of any of those players to block Dame shot. So if Golden State can't block shots, I would love to see Portland be aggressive, live in the paint, and don't settle for jump shots. Do not get into a three-point shooting contest with this team. That's what they want. Do not fall into that trap. If they're open, okay, but I want to see them off of driving kicks, maybe off of fast breaks, um, anywhere where it's an open look where you move the ball around the perimeter, you're swinging it, you're getting Golden State out of position. Don't just do one dribble pull-ups, quick pick-and-roll threes. Those are fool's gold. Sometimes they'll go in, sometimes they won't. I think you really need to make this team work on defense. And with the way they can score the ball, I think the more time we can take on the clock just to run a solid offense, the better. Like, you want to shorten this game up, I think, if you're Portland as much as you can. Definitely not take yourself out of your normal pace. But don't feel free. Don't feel the need to run and gun with this Warriors team because that that really is their bread and butter. So what's the next game? Well, we got to do predictions. Oh. Oh, I, I, I think Blazers will win. Oh, you got Blazers winning. I, I yeah, 
before the Pelicans game and before the Suns game, I'm like, I think Dame is going to do extremely well and we'll lose. But now, I think Dame is going to do extremely well and we'll win. This is not a good. This is not a good Warriors team. This I know it's not, but to be fair, Portland has their issues too. I, I don't think we play particularly good basketball this year. I think we're we're not lucky to be two and one, but we could easily be one and two. Uh, our defense worries me, especially in, in that pick and roll. Thankfully, Golden State doesn't have the size that Denver does, but they've got Kevin Durant, Draymond Green up front, which I would rather have somebody of size than have to go up against those two. Clay Thompson just always shoots the ball so well. Um, I have a feeling they're going to be really hyped up for this game. I think it's going to be competitive. I think Dame's going to have a huge night. But I don't think Portland is ready to beat a team like Golden State this early in the season. I think it could be a gift or it could be a curse. I think it's going to be a curse that it's this early and Portland's not gelled. And the gift is that Golden State hasn't gelled either and they're they're prone to a loss. So we'll see which one... um, rings true and prevails but I, I just I'm being a little pessimistic but I think Golden State wins probably something like 112 to 107 I think you're wrong but it's all I, I would love to be wrong um and then we moved to it's a back-to-back so Portland they have to take the Phoenix Suns who are 0-4 but the Suns have had a really tough schedule um, outside of losing by, God, 19 to the Kings on opening night, which that shouldn't have happened, they had to go at to OKC, which they held an 18-point lead and lost because Westbrook went nuclear. They played the Warriors tough at home, lost only by six, and then they got the shit kicked out of them by the No, Clippers. no, no, no. The fourth quarter, they got the shit kicked out of them. It was close until then. Okay, either way, it's 18-point. And Devin Booker was out. So speaking of Booker, is he going to play? He has a hurt toe. I he's, think he's playing. He's young. He'll probably go. But I think what is more important is they're going to have a day off of rest. And Portland just does not play well in Phoenix. And I think the Blazers need to watch out. You definitely don't want to have losing streaks longer than two in the season. I know sometimes it's inevitable that that happens. But this is a game where you don't want to be, one, the team that gives Phoenix their first victory of the season. But two, this team played you tough in the preseason and really should have beat you. I know they were going all out. Their bench was going crazy. But Booker got really comfortable off mm-hmm. of that pick and roll. Our, we discussed this you know, ad nauseum that our bigs didn't jump out and help a guy like CJ. I would be That's going to be the thing I'm going to be interested to watch most. How do we defend Devin Booker? Can we finally send a double team? We know the kid can shoot lights out, but let's see if he can make a pass. See if he can be a playmaker. I, for one, don't think he is at this stage in his career. I would double-team the shit out of him and make Brandon Knight, Eric Bledsoe, um, Jared Dudley beat us. I really, really, really like TJ Warren. He had a monster night the other night, didn't he? Yeah, he had like 34. I was that the Warriors game, wasn't it? I think, I don't remember. I just, I saw him tonight. I've seen him. I've been a fan of him for a long time. I think you would love his game. Oh, I've seen, yeah, I think yeah. He, they found a steal at the end of the lottery with T.J. Warren. Because mm-hmm. his mid-range game, mid-range is a lost art. He is excellent at mid-range shooting. He's not the best three-point shooter, but his mid-range is excellent, and he's athletic enough to give us trouble on pick and roll. They oh, run but, a... They, they, Booker no. didn't even play. Sorry to interrupt, but I was looking at the box score. Booker didn't even play yeah. tonight. Yeah, he had a hurt toe. Yeah, right I thought he 
I thought he heard it um, in the game. No, no, no. He was out. Okay. Uh, Watson, Earl Watson was being careful with him. Okay. And it's not like they're going to win against the Clippers, even with Booker. So make yeah. sure make sure he's good. Here. But, yeah, they're definitely, a loss is a win for them this year. They're definitely in tank mode. Yeah, it's not like they're going to lose these games, so no need to put uh, your future shooting guard stud star in any further risk. How do you think Brandon Knight, he, he, he's in the media, he says he's cool with being the sixth man. How do you think Brandon Knight really feels? Because when Booker was out, he was chucking. He was chucking all night. It's tough because, you know, Brandon Knight, he comes, five-star recruit, goes to Kentucky, has, he's the same draft class as Kyrie Irving, probably more just as hyped as Kyrie coming into high school, going into college, you know, gets drafted a little bit later, and then he gets, I think he's known as the guy that DeAndre dunked on. Or I mean, Kyrie he, just broke his ankles, one of the two. Yeah, I mean, he's just been the the butt of the highlight joke for his entire career. So with that being the case, I would say he's probably not super stoked taking any of the shine away from him. I think he wants to be into the limelight and still probably feels like he is that dude. And to be honest, he's still a name. I know we've been talking about this podcast of what a name is. And, you know, um, Wesley Matthews was a name going into free agency. Rudy Gay is still a name. Brandon Knight's kind of in that same situation. I have no idea why Phoenix gave up their Phil or their Los Angeles pick they acquired in that Steve Nash trade, which went to Philadelphia, Philadelphia. to get Brandon Knight. Stupid. That makes no sense. They had Eric Bledsoe already, and they've drafted Tyler Eulis. And they, uh, have, they just love having way too many point guards. They have another point guard. I think Tyler Ennis from Syracuse, who they moved. I mean, they had Isaiah Thomas, um, who they should have kept over all those fucking guys. They had Goran Dragic. Like, what are you doing? Um... So that's on another tangent, but no, I don't think he's probably cool being a six-man. He's still young enough in his career where he feels like he's a starter. He should be a starter. He's good enough like, to be a starter. Mm, I wouldn't want him to be my starter in today's NBA current age of point guards. Well, I feel like this is the peak of point guards, and if you have Brandon Knight, you have below-average starting point guard in today's NBA. Yeah, but today's NBA is so loaded. He'd be a, he'd be a middle point guard five years well, ago. I, yeah, I, but five I, years ago. I think that he could be – if he got traded to Brooklyn, he could shine. There's some teams that would love to have him. I don't even know if he's that much of an upgrade over Jeremy Lin. You'd make my family very proud by saying that. I'm being completely honest. I think he is a name. People are like, oh, Brandon, I've heard of him. He got it, crossed up once. But you look at his stat line tonight, 18 points on 13 shots. Zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks in 31 minutes. That's an Eric Gordon's outline right there. That's Andrew Wiggins right there. Like, he's doing, that's Rudy Gay. He is doing nothing to help his team but look to score the basketball. And that's your point guard. Zero assists from your point. That is unacceptable. And that's why I'm saying I, I, I don't think he's, he's their answer. I don't like the fit with Eric Bledsoe. Um, but again, this is a backcourt that has given Portland problems in the past. We, I hope Terry Sots brings this, brings this up because playing the Suns early on in the season is never good. You want to play them later when they are really tanking because they're looking to win this game. They beat us back-to-back nights early on in the season last year. One particular game, Knight and Bledsoe just went off. Oh, yeah, and absolutely apeshit. Yeah. We had, our backcourt had no answer. This game is going to be a matchup of the backcourts. Which one gets the better of the other? Damon and CJ are going to have to bring it, and... If we lose or 
it, it really all depends how we perform against Golden State could really impact our attitudes going into Phoenix. If you win, if if you win, are you going to overlook the Suns? If you lose, are you going to be hungry for a victory, or are you going to be kind of morally like, are you going to let the Warriors essentially beat you twice? So this game is probably the most intriguing of the four this week because on paper Phoenix is the easiest victory, but looking at it more closely in the history of the arena and the matchups, I think it's the second toughest game behind the Warriors, and I wouldn't at all be surprised if Portland lost. Uh, Sage, what do the Blazers have to do to get a victory? What are some of your factors you're looking at? I think containing the backcourt is pretty huge. Eric Bledsoe can't shoot, but he is so athletic. So we got to be prepared for his cuts. The th- one three pick and roll is really effective with him and Warren. Box, you got to box out. You can't let Tyson Chandler think he's all of that. Once, uh, those bigs, I, I don't care about the, their two draft picks, but don't let. Booker go off. Don't let Knight and Bledsoe and I, I. The only reason I'm tentative to say this is a win is just because of the history and all signs are telling me this game is going to be a loss. Yep. Two. So you're saying they'll start out this slate of games zero and two. I said all signs are pointing okay. that way. Oh, okay, okay. But I don't, I think Portland realizes that they can't drop games like this. Um, it's gonna be just a struggle and a continuous climb uphill like the Denver game. It's gonna be extremely close. For whatever reason, these two teams play each other tough. But if we can get, I think there are a couple factors that always ring true when you play on the road against a subpar opponent. One, you need to have a lot of energy and you have to want the game more. The fans aren't going to be into this game. You know, the Suns are one of the worst teams in the league. It's going to be on a Wednesday night. Um, There's a lot of things to do in Arizona. It's probably still really warm outside. You're going to have to manufacture your own energy. And what I mean by energy is the hustle board. If they could take the hustle board from the Rose Garden and put it into Talking Stick Resort Arena, that's where you would want to look at it. Steals, blocks, rebounds. Of those three categories, if the Trailblazers are ahead at the end of the night, I like their chances. They really need to rebound the ball. Second chance points are going to be huge, especially going up against a guy like Tyson Chandler, who has always given us fits. We have to stop him from getting lobs. Um, we have to stop him from controlling the glass. If we could get him into early foul trouble, that would be great. I really like he the idea. He fouled out really early this game. Yes, he did. He only played 18 minutes. So Mason Plumley. Guess who uh, had him on DraftKings? He had Mason? No, I had Tyson Chandler. Well, <laughs> he was for that. If Mason Plumlee can play the way he did against DeAndre Jordan, I think we win the game. Mm. I think we are more talented across the board, I think, than it is if we played the Clippers. But if Mason can win that center battle and hit a couple of outside shots, bring the big out with him to allow our guards to go to work, um, that's going to be huge. You know Tyson doesn't want to leave that paint. Doesn't want to leave the paint. My other factor is bench scoring. We should have one of the best benches in the league on paper. We need to showcase it. So Portland needs to win that bench battle because Dane can't continue to carry us every night. And then three-point shooting. I think we need to shoot probably more than 40% from three. Usually on the road, threes are silencers, and they can really give you momentum and take a lot of wind out of the sails of your opponent, especially the crowd. So if we shoot more than 40% from three, second-chance points and our, our bench 
out, out does theirs and then the hustle board. I know that's a lot, but that's what it's going to take because this team is hungry for their first victory. They don't want to start 0-5. They know they can play us tough. Um, probably against my better judgment, I'm going to say victory. I think it probably goes down to the wire, probably like 97 to 95. It could be another Lillard game winner. All right, what's the third game? Third game is the Dallas Mavericks, who are also defeated on the season. They are 0-3, and you were watching that game against Houston where they were, um, it was a nip-tuck game all the way along. What did they foul? James Harden with point one on the clock in the Yeah, fourth. it was, yeah, but- it was a tie game. James Harden got fouled on some real bullshit. Uh, yeah. Uh, which fouled Wes out, who shot like 20 times. Uh, he's, he's looking a lot better. He made James Harden's life really miserable because he had like eight turnovers. Um, Dirk was a uh, last second scratch. So they had Steph, no, Seth Curry as the, the shit. Their three guard lineup. So, yeah, it, it was mostly a Wes Matthews dominated game. I mean, Harrison might have had nine and like six rebounds or something, but Wes took a lot of shots. If Dirk's playing, I think they're more balanced, but I haven't really seen him healthy because he's had the Achilles and then a really bad flu. Yeah, Harrison had 31 in their loss Friday against the Rockets. They played back to back against the Rockets, but. You know, he's putting up 20 points and six boards in three games uh, so far this year, shooting 46% from three, 50% from the field, um, getting to the line about two times per night, so not a super big threat to get there. But he's not, not really going to do anything else. He's not a threat to pass the ball. He's not a really a great defender, but he can. He looks like he's comfortable so far in his role mm. in Dallas. Maybe there's a lot of pressure that he feels like, okay, I don't. I'm not playing for the Warriors. Like Maybe I'm not playing for a title this year. Maybe he loved playing there, but for whatever reason, it feels like the pressure's off of him, which is a little bit strange because he just got a max contract. But you know, to each their own and how they handle a uh, change of scenery, seems like it's doing him pretty well. But Having Carlisle as a coach probably helps too. I mean, they still have Rick fucking Carlisle. Um, every game has been close. They lose in over... I mean, that's a tough opening night at Indiana. That's just a random type team to play opening night. So they lose in overtime to the Pacers. They go back-to-back against the Rockets, losing by a combined nine points in two games. Um, and then they get the Utah Jazz on Wednesday in Utah. So you could be looking at a team 0-4, hungry for their first victory. And I can't stress enough how difficult it is to play these teams, one, on their home opener, and two, when they haven't won yet. They could be the worst team in the NBA. They want to get that first victory. Um, it sets this tone for the whole season and it kind of gets that proverbial like monkey off of their back. So watch that game in Utah if you're a Blazer fan. Root for the Mavericks because one, we need you Jazz to lose, but I don't think you want to play the Mavericks 0 and 4. Did that Dirk just... play any of the, has he played yet? Looking at the box score for the last Houston game. I know he was out for that game because of late scratch and he was on my DraftKings roster. <laughs> you should have known that, Sage. It was a late scratch, and I'm not going to bitch about DraftKings' late swap rule. It's no, stupid. he didn't. He didn't play in either Houston game. Yeah. What's What's the deal with him? Why is he out? He has a Achilles and a illness. Would he possibly be out for our game? I don't know. He was supposed to play in Houston. 
Mm. So he'll probably be back. Yeah, he played opening night, 38 minutes, 22 points, 8 boards. Um, you know, typical Dirk. Probably shot a little bit less than he normally would, 8 of 19. But again, Dirk is a player who has tormented the Blazers throughout I mean, his tenure as a Maverick. Dallas Arena has never been easy to win in. The only reason I have pause is because I think Carlisle is the supreme coach. And the way I think of really talented coaches, he can make a Y team a good team. Regardless of situation, I think he could make a team good. I don't think Terry's at that point yet because he needs to have his players to succeed. So I think the coaching is the only thing that the Mavericks are winning in any of the front court backcourt coaching. So with Dirk out, they've gone extremely small. Yes. Darren Wes Matthews and Seth Curry, mm-hmm. Harrison Barnes as your four, and Boga as your five. So that's something I think Portland can take advantage of. And I know Bogut is a good rim protector, but Damon CJ had success against him in the postseason. Um, it's just so – I know we're a better team, but again, it, it's that if they're – defeated and they're looking for the first win in that arena that's just a lot of bad memories i think they need a fast start i think you don't, that, you don't want to be in a close game with carlisle so what are your x factors outside of fast start who should we l- look for like who do we need to contain obviously if dirk plays but yeah I've, um, I've got my guys i want to see you i think that we need to close out on Wes. i think Darren always seems to kill us. He get like didn't last year. He only had two thirty point games, and both of them were against us. So I was actually, looking at that just now. Yeah, I remember these things too, bro. <laughs> yep. uh, March twentieth, uh, they beat us by twelve. He had thirty one points on just eighteen shots, four of six from three, sixteen fucking assists. He um, fucking ate off of us. Oh, what do you know? December 1st, also another victory. 30 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, 11 of 17 from the 4. Those were his only 30-point games of the year. Uh, Portland's defense has been known to give up scoring in bunches to point guards of all shapes and sizes and yes. skill levels. Hey! <laughs> I, I think D. Will, stopping D. Willie, which is... Something I didn't think I would have to be talking about in 2016, because for whatever reason, he's very washed, except when he plays against the Blazers. So I look at this Dallas team, I don't see a great defensive team. I no. think it's, I think if, if, you're, if I'm Portland, I, I want to move the ball. I want to make them work on defense. I think you can pound them inside. Um, Bogut's really their only true rim protector, but even Dirk, if he plays, that's still... Um, I think it's a team you can crash the glass against. And mm. if Portland can really own the backboard, get the second chance points. But also, it's a game where Portland needs to get hot. I don't, I don't want to see them win a 93-92 game. I think they can beat them. I think they have a better chance of beating them, like 112 to 108. And I say that because whenever we get hot, and it's a guy like Damian starts to get hot, then it starts to feed off the other players. seems like we always get that momentum stop once we're playing well on offense. Um, I know it usually should be the other way around. Your defense should lead the offense. With this group of guys, at least right now, our offense leads the defense. Um, I mean, that's something you're going to have to expect with uh, 
the roster that we have. There's not many defensive-minded guys on this team outside of Alfaro Camino. And I, I look at this team, and I think you've got to defend the arc. If they're going to take tough shots from the perimeter, whether it be Seth or Wes, that's fine, or Harrison, we need to defend the perimeter. We cannot leave open shooters because they are guys who are going to knock down shots. So I think defending the three-point line, um, I don't have a specific statistic, but you'll be able to watch it with your eye test. And you'll be able to see, are we playing good perimeter defense or are we not? Because that's what's going to win the game or lose the game. Who do you think West defends? Because I think he looked really good defending guard in the game that I watched. Who do you think he defends? The beautiful thing, and what I love what Stotts is doing lately, so let's say they want to put Wesley on Dame or CJ. That leaves Darren Williams or Seth Curry to guard Al Farouk When they tried to pull that shit with J.J. Redick, we were taking Moharkless in chief, and we were just posting them up, and we were getting fouls, and we were getting easy buckets. So I hope they do something like that because we are going to try and throw it inside and get to the foul line and, you know, score while the the clock has stopped, get their guys in foul trouble, just like teams have done to us early this year. I think that's very key to winning on the road is winning that free throw battle and being aggressive, um, just like we've done all season long. Just hopefully we get more of the benefit of the calls. So who do you think, Wesselberg? Seems like a CJ to me. but Yeah, I, I think it might be a CJ day. I mean, he looked good against Harden, which recency bias is a bitch, but he looked good when I watched him. That's true. Harden is more of a traditional, I'm going to take the ball up yep. the court. CJ is going to run his ass back and forth. And I think that's what you have to do against Wes. You can't, Wes is a, Wes is a dog. He's just a, a, a bull. When if you get locked isolation, probably not going to go your way. But if you can get him to move laterally through screens, tire him out a bit, get him going each, you know, east and west, so you're able to use your your hesitation, your herky jerky moves, that's when you're going to have success against Matthews, where you can use your quickness. But if he locks into you, it's lights out. Man, yeah, it, it, the only thing that worries me is the coaching thing. If Dirk plays, but to me, Stotts has coached better. better. Yeah, I. I just think Carlisle's really, really, really good. So, is who's your X Factor? I think it has to be coaching decisions in the last five minutes if it's a close game. Who do you got? If Dirk's out, I think we win pretty easily. If he's not... <sighs> you got to go on record, though, because we always tally these up. I know, and we're tied right now. I want to say... I think we beat Dallas, but if yeah. it's close, I get very nervous. I, I think it's going to be very close. So take whatever meds you got. I know I've got some, you know, some tums, some heart medicine. Um, I'll be petting Rally Katie this game because I think this one's going down to the wires as well. If you indulge in that Uncle Spliffy, this might be the game for you. I mean, <laughs> I really think it's going to be Dame hitting a big shot, but the X factor, who I think Portland, um, who I think keeps in in the game all all night long is Maurice Harkless. I think he's going to have a Clippers type of performance where he goes like for 23 and 10. I think this is a matchup he can exploit. He did it in the Warrior series last year against a guy like Harrison Barnes. I, I don't think that they can handle him. And if he's crashing the glass, getting easy putbacks, if they do stick a Seth Curry or Darren Williams against him, he's going to get easy buckets. Um, we can get Mo out in transition if he's hitting that three. I like Mo Harkless to have a big night against the Mavericks, and I think Portland's going to squeak out probably like a 107-105 victory. 
We said it was a week for the Blazers, and the games keep rolling. The last one we are going to preview is uh, a Sunday contest in it's a matinee, so it'll be a twelve thirty tip for all on the best coast um, out here in in Oregon against the Memphis Grizzlies and Sage. The Grizzles are two and one of the year. They did get handled pretty easily by the Knicks. Probably should have lost opening night against the the Timberwolves. I believe they were down twenty to three at one point, but they are facing which isn't anything new as of late, but injury issues. Who is out for the who is out for the Grizzlies right now? I think Tony Allen's hurt. I know Chandler Parsons still has not returned. I know Zebo's coming off the bench because he's an offensive minded big that isn't a good defender, and that's his the future role for them. If they're healthy, I'm pretty worried. But if they're not because Conley's good, is Gasol good? So far, let's look at how much she played in their game against the Wizards. So they played uh, yesterday, Sunday. They they were taken to overtime by the Wizards. They won 112 to 103. Let's see what Marcus Soule did. Oh, they have Vince Carter playing some real minutes for him. Yeah, I mean he played 29 minutes. He had 20 points, 10 boards. I mean he was doing Gasol things, but. Their starting lineup, Mike Conley, Jeff Green, Jamichael Green. No, Jeff Green's on the Magic. Jamichael Green, excuse me. Jamichael Green, Jarrell Martin, James Ennis, Marcus Wolf. I mean, for fuck's sake. James Ennis is fucking eating right now. I mean, he had eight points on ten shots, so he didn't do so hot against the Wizards. But... That's a team you have. Was that coming off the bench? No Parsons. I know this is the end of your three-game road trip, but this is a team we should handle. Mm-hmm. They're a team that plays like the Nuggets, but they're slower than the Nuggets. I mean, I think time has really passed them by. And the key to this game, like with any good point guard team, especially with Mike Conley, who lives in the mid-range, is double-teaming him, getting the ball out of his hands, and not letting him get comfortable in the paint or the mid-range. Because this could be a game where Mike Conley leads them. Um, That's I, I think it's a Myers game. I think he's going to play some great defense against Marcus Sewell. Uh This is the reason you signed Myers Leonard, so you can just mix and match and throw him in there. I really like Myers in this game. I do, too. This is one of the games you'll do well in. And, and if Mark's not in, he can match up with Zebo because you know what Zebo wants to do every play. So He wants to pound that glass and get in the paint and just live in live in that area because that's where he's comfortable but looking looking at the Grizzlies, you have to. I mean, Wade Baldwin. He. I, mean, I thought he was going to be pretty good. He's looking all right. Andrew Harrison, Vince Carter. I mean, Vince with eighteen against the Wiz, bro. Deontay Davis. I mean, they've got such a they've got a lot of youth mixed with vets. It's just a very weird collection. Um, Surprised they shot 31 threes, to be honest, against the Wizards, especially with that array of players. Vince did go 5 of 6. Um, or, excuse me. Yeah, Vince went 5 of 6. And I they think shot. Mark's got a few threes in. Marcus Soul went 4 of 6 from 3. Yeah, I think so, he got like a very crucial 3 to either win it or put it in a very good position for them to win. So you cannot win against Memphis Grizzlies if you allow them to shoot 15 of 31. It's going to be another night where we have to win that three-point line and win it in a huge way because this is going to be 
two different styles of play clashing. Mm-hmm. Ours just simply has to win out. Um, but I look for this game to be Myers to defend Gasol, Ed Davis and Noah Vonley to come in off the bench and lead that bench charge. But if I'm looking for a hero tonight, it feels like Alan Crab, Alan Crab, Alan Crab, because I think Dame and CJ are going to have a good job, but the Grizzlies just by nature are going to slow it down. They're going to ugly up the game, and I don't know if they're necessarily going to feast like they like they would against a normal team. So we're going to need some. We don't have a traditional third score, so we need some guy every night to at least get 15, just almost give us a shot of life off the bench. Crabs looked pretty good this year, scored in double digits all three games. It feels like a game you're ending the road trip. He can get his shot off against this team. We need to find him, run him off of curls, and I would love to see AC be a little bit more greedy with his shot selection. I think he's passed up some threes for tough 18-footers. Let that baby fly from downtown. Like We need those threes to start ringing up. So Crab is my X factor. Uh, what are you going to be looking I'm, for? I'm kind of feeling an ET game for me, actually. I was going to go with ET. So I think it's going to be a bench. I think it's going to be an entire – like we I, said. I really think Evan Turner could shine against uh, the war, uh, Grizzlies. Excuse me. So, yeah, I, th- I think ET because he's going to have a ball in his hands. He's going to make right decisions. I don't know if he's going to get like 15, but I think he could get eight and then contribute for 15 through assists and good rebounding and outletting it to play people. So I think Evan Turner is going to have a big game off the bench. I surprisingly think this might be Portland's easiest victory of the road trip. See, I think they're going to lose this game. Just because See, of the I, clash of the... I think they'll go 3 one and end up either overlooking or just getting out-rebounded by the Grizzlies. See, if we're 3-0 going into this game on this on this uh, four-game preview that we're doing, I see that there's no way we're losing this game. I, I still don't think we're going to lose because of the injuries that Memphis is suffering. And if you can... So I think what will be huge in this game is pace. Can Portland get this game up in the hundreds? 105, even better. Can you get 10-plus fast-break points? Can you force 15-plus turnovers? Can you get out on the break and run and get easy buckets? Because this defense is still Memphis. They're still grit and grind. They're still Memphis Grizzly basketball. If Portland can find some way to get some easy shots, open the floor up early, maybe it's Dame opening up with a couple of threes, but... I just have a feeling about this game. I think Memphis is on the decline, and they're not fully healthy. This is a game we could take advantage of. Uh, we saw the Knicks. They, they ran. They got on the break. Um, they got into the paint with their guards. Portland can do that even better. So I like Portland to win Win by, I'll say, 11 points. I, I like this. I, a 3 and one week, all three wins on the road. Uh, I think any Blazer fan would take that. I know you're going a 3 and one week as well with a loss against the Grizzlies. Um, because of style clashes. So that kind of wraps up the week. It's a, a lot of basketball happening, so kind of sit back and it'll relax. Be, it'll be curious to see who wins the week. So it's a 3 and 1, so I guess it's the Warriors' victory versus the Grizzlies. Versus a, yeah. And we still have a little bit of news to touch on before we uh, sign off for the night. It is being reported now that the deadline has passed. There is no extension for Mason Plumley. We know CJ got his big extension. Uh, so Mason will enter the offseason as a restricted free agent, similar to uh, Mo Harkless, Alan Crabb, and Myers Leonard. Yep. So 
I think that is the best idea for both parties. I want to kind of get your thoughts on that, Sage. I think that Mason has an opportunity to make some real money. So the Blazers did him a very good solid because if he's he's going to have the opportunity to succeed way more. So if a team sees that he's averaging 10 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists or 5 assists, they're going to give him some real change. And since he's restricted, we can match and give him that money. So I think what they did was a huge solid for Mace. What about you? Well, you see you see restricted free agent sign extensions today um, at the deadline. I think it was Oladipo, Steven Adams, and Rudy Gobert all got big paydays. So when those guys get taken off the market, it only enhances Mason Plumlee's value because there's only so many players to go around. I believe the cap is expected to increase. I think you're looking at another Allen Crab situation if you're Paul Allen and Neil Olshay. I don't know if it ever gets to that point because a team's going to give Mason X deal. I think the Blazers have already played that scenario out in their minds. They they probably don't want to go into the luxury tax that much. I don't think they want to be paying Mason Plumley that much. I think he's the prime candidate. I know there's Plumley listeners on this podcast, but you go by contract, you go by performance, you go by age. He is a the biggest. He is the pro- juiciest trade chip. The you Blazers have. You package him with two to three assets. One of them has to be Mace because you can't have all of our players making $15 million. And I think that's just the name of the game. We haven't even seen what Festus Azili can do. Um, I think Festus might have um, a big part in whether we deal Mace or not because if he comes back and that knee is just not going to hold up, you really have to keep Mace and bite the bullet and sign him because you're not just going to let him walk. But if Festus shows up really healthy and plays like he did um, for chunks of the season last year with the Warriors – then you're more inclined to see what you can get from Mace and go after that disgruntled star to, you know, make that consolidation trade that I think we all know is coming. It's just a matter of, of if, first matter of when, but not if. So what would you give the percentage that he's traded by the deadline? The deadline, I mean, this definitely is the first domino to fall. Um, it's hard to look because if Portland's rolling at the deadline, and then by rolling I mean a top two or three seed, you don't, I just don't, you don't mess with that continuity. Not unless Sacramento is really just like dying to trade Boogie Cousins. If I think it has to be a trade that really blows your socks off and you can really think long-term with it. I don't think you're going to see a short-term fix like a Brooke Lopez or a, a type of name like that that maybe helps us in the interim. I'm not sure Brooke Lopez would, but just that type of name. Um, I don't think they do it. Now, if they're struggling a little bit and they're looking forward to um, the next season – or they don't want to put Mace on the books for that much money, their whole starting lineup would just be getting paid buku bucks through, you know, out the out the wall. I mean, they would just... I think every starter would be making at least... No, Chief would still be on a team-friendly deal, but every other starter than Chief would be like 15-plus million. Well, we'll just think. You got Alan Crabb off the bench, so... F. Turner, 17 off the yeah. bench. I mean, yeah. So that's a lot of money, even in today's salary cap, to be thrown out. I mean, it's tough to put a percentage. I mean... I'd say 20%. I think there's a 1 in 5 chance. Um, I, It's kind of like the Nuggets situation where you know other teams know that for it to they, be beneficial for your team, they need to make a trade. So I don't know if the Boogie Cousins will be out there for that unless he just blows up. He looked, I don't know. When I saw him, he looked pretty angry. So I don't know. 
yeah, Sacramento was smart. They moved him. There's no way in hell he's resigning in Sacramento in a couple of years. But owners and GMs don't always think logically or rationally. So, I uh, uh, I was playing 2K, and I was just bored, so I was simming stuff. So I chose the Kings franchise. I traded him for the Philly pick, and then two years later, I re-signed him in free agency and won a chip. <laughs> if only life were as simple as that. Yep. I mean, Sage, it's almost nearing midnight. We're almost to no fucking November. I do not know where October went, but I think it's been... It went uh, to craving and wanting basketball. And now we've got it. And if you want to continue to hear this content on a weekly basis, we record every Monday night. Uh, definitely subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating if you like what you hear. And uh, review, review us as well. That actually helps a lot with iTunes analytics and all that bullshit that no, no, no one wants even, to know. Even, if it's, just one sentence. even yeah. if it's just one sentence or even if it's just Rip City or Go Blazers, we greatly appreciate it. Um, we put this podcast out every week just for you guys. Um, but if if iTunes isn't your jam, definitely hit us up on SoundCloud and Stitcher. At Google Holy Backboard Play as well. PDX. Google Play as well. That's at Holy Backboard PDX. We are also on Instagram and Twitter at Holy Backboard. And if you just want to shoot us uh, an email, holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. But no fan questions this week. Um, had a lot of errands to take care of today. Forgot to send it out. So we'll definitely hit you up with those next week. Sage, it is late as balls, and I've got to get up early. So and I know you've got to edit this podcast. I think it's time to wrap it up, but yep. we've got a lot of basketball on tap. And this is a big week for the Blazers. I know it's November, but I think this week, if if they can come out of it 3-1, and one, things are looking very much, pun intended, rosy for, for the Trailblazers here here in Rip City. So you know, sit back, enjoy some basketball, and uh, as always, go Blazers. Happy Halloween!